I'm excited to announce that I'll be the MC of Design XL, a new design conference taking place November 9th in beautiful Pensacola, Florida. Design XL is the Florida Panhandle's first design conference. Join me in this beach town as they feature both local and national talent to excel your skills, grow your network, and further your design education. Tickets are on sale now at designxl.org. And early bird pricing will get you all access for a limited low price of $129 for professionals and $75 for students. In addition to the day of conference, there will be a pre-party mixer on the night of November 8th. Visit designxl.org for all the details on speakers, workshops, and more. Welcome to Feasting on Design. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. Today I'm talking with Roy Clark, bartender and general manager at the Haberdasher, a craft cocktail bar in Mobile, Alabama. Roy and I sit down over a beer and talk about designing a bar with everything from the decor and the lighting to how the back bar is organized, how to create a balanced craft cocktail menu, and Mobile's Tiki Week, which is currently going on at bars like the Haberdasher, plus a whole lot more. Roy, thanks for, uh, well, I guess having me in here uh, before you open so we can chat. No problem. So t- tell me a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Where, how did you, uh, how did you get into this bar business game? Uh, I grew up in the south part of Mobile County, uh, Irvington, Battery area. Uh, moved to the big city right after <laughs> high school. Um, did a bunch of different jobs, uh, and then eventually kind of landed uh, in a bartending spot at the uh, previous location of the Alabama Music Box. I can say previous now because they just reopened. Yeah, um, I saw that. Yeah. Uh, so I was kind of in between jobs and uh, two of my best friends were the owners. So, you know, kind of gotcha. threw me in there. And uh, at some point kind of took notice of this burgeoning craft cocktail thing that was happening elsewhere in the country. And uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Stephen Robbins, at the time was uh, running a bar called Taste, also owned by the same people that own the Haberdasher. Okay. And he kind of took notice that I was, you know, trying to do something a little bit more than just the normal turn and burn. Sure. Um, Run and, rum and Coke. Yeah. Gin and yeah, exactly. Which is no, no, no problem there. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, he took notice of that and uh, kind of took me on at Taste and um, worked there for, I guess, probably a year, maybe maybe a little bit less before we finally got the haberdasher open and the trans- transitions down here and. Have been growing since, you know. Gotcha. So the haberdasher opened in a different location first. It was a few blocks down mm-hmm. from where we are now. Um, before some annoying neighbors, uh, yeah, kind of ruined it for everybody. Yep. Um, how has like the first incarnation of the haberdasher? How has this place evolved? between now and or between then and now well when we first opened we probably had 20 bottles of liquor on the back bar five or six beers to choose from maybe uh and we kind of just grew from there we, we opened the old haberdasher and uh war- wasn't technically a cocktail bar for a while we had to kind of generate some income to get some inventory sure um so but ever since then once we finally put out a, a a small little cocktail menu, maybe 
eight months after we've opened mm-hmm. and we've just been getting bigger and better ever since. Uh, by the time we were booted from the previous place, we had pretty much outgrown the space anyway. We were packed to the gills. We'd kind of maxed out. It's a good problem to have. Yeah, exactly. So the, uh, the gap between there and here was, you know, tough, but uh, it ended up being a, a good thing in the end because, you know, this building is, we're not renting it, so we don't have a landlord. That's nice, um, especially and, in Mobile. Yep. It's just about it as big as we wanted it to be or bigger than we want, you know, compared to the old space. Sure. Just enough growth there. Uh, obviously, we were able to put in a proper kitchen, which has been a tremendous part of our success here. Uh, and, uh, you know, being able to, for me, I'm a bar design nerd, so to be able to really get my hands in there and actually design the the, the layout of the back bar, which is still evolving, uh, was great. You know, let's, maximum efficiency. Yeah, let's let's talk about that a little bit. How, sure. When you're when you're designing the back bar, and you know, well, look, for people who may not be aware, explain what a back bar is first, and then we'll get into that. Uh, when we refer, or when we say back bar what we're referring to is anything that's on the uh, on the back side of the bar so not the customer side so the back bar would include under the bar itself the physical Mm -hmm. bar that people sit at uh where you have things like your ice wells and sometimes coolers and etc uh and then of course also the literal back bar which is behind the bartender typically where you normally have liquor shelves and uh beer taps and that kind of thing. So right. that's what we're talking about there. Gotcha. Yeah. And w- what goes into designing that? Okay. So in the world of like craft bartending, uh, we borrowed a term from the kitchen world, mise en place, mm-hmm. um, which means uh, basically a spot for everything. Everything yeah. you everything want that kind of, place. yeah, uh, that, that's another kind of cliche that we, you know, bartenders like to use as well as kitchen, a, a place for everything and everything in its place. So, the idea is that for the mass amount of your cocktail menu mm-hmm. or what you're serving on a day-to-day basis, you want kind of everything to be no more than a step away. Okay. You know, ideally it would be in your kind of cockpit where you don't have to move at all. Sure. Uh, but that's not completely possible at all times. So, uh, yeah, you want to you want to try to get everything to where you don't have to move very much because it's all about speed and efficiency and pumping out a cocktail without having to walk two and a half miles from one end of the bar <laughs> to the back, you know, a yeah. hundred times a night. So, yeah, you don't want to um, be running down to one end of the bar to yeah. get so bitters that, that you yeah, need. And- exactly. So that design uh, process is kind of, we have three service wells here and we basically just tried to try to achieve that. Um, you know, we have our speed rails with our often used liquor. Uh, we've got our bar top set up with, Things like bitters, garnish, etc. We have coolers that have everything that has to be kept in a cooler. We've added things like we've got a glassware freezer that's kind of centrally located. We can't have one of those for every well, of course. But again, it's yeah, it get a little bulky, and, yeah, and expensive, right? Very expensive. <laughs> uh, so that's centrally located between the, all three of the wells, and, and uh, that's pretty much it. That's that's the goal, you know. Gotcha. When it when it comes to setting up the back bar, you know, and, and figuring things out, 
do you start with like a central list of cocktails um, as, as far as like the wells go, as far as the speed rails? Um, do you start with kind of a central list of cocktails and know what ingredients are going to go in there and then kind of work out from the center? That's exactly what we do. So, you know, we, we change our cocktail menu uh, drastically probably three times a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hesitate to call it seasonal. It's pseudo seasonal. Um but we don't really, I mean, even have really seasons. And, seasons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Football, hurricane, yeah. and the uh, and Mardi Gras. That's exactly right. So when we do a menu reset, we kind of take a look at the ingredients included in those cocktails, and uh, you know we always have what typically you would call your well liquors. I hesitate to use that term because typically that implies like low the cheap, bottom crappy shelf. Yeah. stuff. Yeah, but it's basically your your basic lineup of uh, bourbon, rye, vodka, gin, tequila, mm-hmm. sometimes rum, and then, you know, common mixers. Uh, so we always have that. Right. And then we also have space for the other bottles that go into the cocktails, the menu cocktails. Sure. So, and then beyond that, uh, we utilize a couple of other different techniques to make sure that everything's right there. So I would say... With the exception of maybe one or two cocktails that are kind of either high-end money-wise or just not the kind of thing that people order a lot, everything is right there. So so, uh, so the $35 uh, Clyde May. Right. Um, one that that bottle in. remains on the back bar. Yeah. 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 yeah so <laughs> you have to travel to that one. But yeah, we only sell a few of those a week. So. Sure. One day I'll try one. It's good. <laughs> Just going to save up money, take out a loan, you know. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> I, I, that's one perk of the job is, uh, you know, developing those drinks. You, you get to try them. Yeah. So. Well, speaking of Clyde May, I, I want to touch on this real quick because, and people can't see it, but you have a metric shit ton of Clyde May above the, the uh, bar on the back wall. Is that literally just for display or are you pulling from that inventory too uh that's mostly a display um so the clyde uh yeah we don't we don't pull from that very often it just so happens we're we're, we're, that that brand has been really good to us even before the move uh mike mosley and brian chandler and the all the guys uh they you know they've they've helped us out a lot and they're they're always extremely supportive of the bar uh, and also, those bottles, their bottles, fit in those spaces. Yeah. They're a little shorter than your average. Your average liquor bottle mm-hmm. uh, won't fit in there. Like certainly not a bottle of like James a Jameson bottle. Just to use something right. common, it wouldn't fit up there. So, uh, so that's a two prong kind of thing. And then we've also got our Russells. Uh, we we did a barrel pick, which as far as I can. As far as I know, we're the only ones in Mobile that have done a barrel picks thus far. Um, so basically, we bought an entire barrel of whiskey oh, really? from one single barrel. We ha- we actually have the actual barrel. Oh, cool! Sitting in the bar room here, um, but you can't buy it a little bit at a time like you normally would. You have to buy. Um, I think it ended up being about thirty cases. Whew. So, uh, <laughs> so we have That's some, a lot of money. We have we have that liquor kind of stashed here and there throughout the building. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you know, 
getting getting back to the designing of things when it comes to designing the cocktail menu how do you kind of work that do you because i imagine you want to have a good variety yeah our our goal for any cocktail menu whether it be kind of like the wintertime menu or the spring and fall menu or spring and summer rather which are kind of the same thing um the goal regardless is to have something for everybody so uh I, sometimes you go to a place and you, you see their winter menu and it's 90 percent stirred and boozy brown brown liquor drinks sure. and um you know that's just not for everybody so uh obviously we have have a couple of drinks for that drinker and then we have couple of drinks for somebody that wants something a little more light refreshing maybe mm-hmm. something bubbly uh, and then also our variety of base liquors as mm-hmm. well so you know we're covering all your all your uh your big four or five you know we've sure. got at least one gin drink one bourbon drink one rum drink etc cetera, etc cetera. so uh and then you know from that base we expand to other more kind of esoteric and you know, less familiar ingredients, sherry, sure. uh, curacao, stuff like the that. The Amaros yeah, and all exactly. that stuff. Lots, we love those, Amaros. Those, those are popular right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So w- when you're you know, picking an individual cocktail and creating it, what are the things you look for to make it balanced? So um, balance is just that. So uh, I think... Uh, sometimes I look at drinks that we created early on, and if you made them like we made them back then, you, f- you would find that they're probably a little too sweet. I think that tends to be a, uh, a hallmark of a of a young yeah. bartender or cocktail creator. Um, so uh, every once in a while, we will, we will revisit one of those old recipes and uh, have to either you know lower this whatever the sweet sweetener is whether it be a sweet liqueur or sugar syrup or mm-hmm. a combination of the two uh bitters of course can can adjust that a little bit we're talking about citrus of course you know as an adjuster yep so that's really all there is to it uh you, you with some exceptions um you wouldn't want a drink to yeah either be too tart or too bitter or too boozy, you know, mm-hmm. if there is such a thing. So I, there, I mean, there can be. Yeah, there, there's some drinks where you you get them, and you know, based on the description you see on a menu, you're expecting this smooth, mm-hmm. you know, easy drinking sort of thing, and yeah. then you take a sip of it, and it is it's right. so hot, yeah, that it's <laughs> it hurts. Yeah, that's a that would not be good. Yeah, those are. I'm I am not a. Uh, seasoned enough drinker where i can you know do stuff neat or right even even up is can be a challenge for me because i don't drink it quick enough to right where it you know when it starts to get warm it's like mm, this kind of hurts yeah like up <laughs> up and stirred i'm assuming this way yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what you're talking yeah. about yeah uh yeah exactly yeah so that that goes back to variety you know some people do want that you yeah know? so um so yeah so so you know when you're creating the overall menu and, and you know the for here the semi seasonal um, stuff, what are what are like flavor profiles you look to go for in any given season? 
Um, you know, to speak just typically, uh, summertime with Earth. Uh, spring and summer, which, sure. like I said, we kind of like that's basically, that's usually the same. Yeah, <laughs> it's usually the same menu for us. We don't do a drastic rechange. Um, you know, more fruit forward or vegetal forward, mm. seasonal type ingredients. Uh, typically lighter, long drinks as they used to be called. Yeah. Uh, you know, iced, uh, light. Mm-hmm. A lot of bubbles are often involved. You know, whether it be champagne or sparkling rosé or just uh club soda okay or tonic um uh so just just on the lighter side of things Mm -hmm. so and then um we do typically use some seasonal ingredients you know we uh don't some of that doesn't necessarily make it to the menu because uh produce can change from sure. one week to the next, oh, so yeah. it's hard to maintain consistency. Uh, so, like, you know, we wouldn't put a peach drink on the menu at the beginning of peach season and, and expect to sell that same drink through the end of summer, which right. for us goes to, you know, we probably won't do another menu change until September. Uh, so we'll stay away from that kind of, like, ultra-seasonal stuff, but we will kind of bring it in and do some chalkboard specials for it. Okay, that's what yeah. I was That's what I was wondering. I was going to ask, yeah. when you're when you're – doing that with things that are kind of hyper seasonal yeah you know is it you know based just week to week or how how quickly do you change things out like that yeah so luckily now we're in that kind of farm to table environment has become a thing around here so we are able to get uh produce straight from these local and semi-local or regional farms and uh they you know, in some cases, bring it to you like a, a, a mobile market and you sure. can go through and pick through the truck and, you know, like these strawberries are incredible this week. Let's let's get a flat of strawberries and we'll mm-hmm. do a strawberry special until we run out of them. Cool. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's all just based on availability and uh, whether or not we, we feel that ingredient. It's just like a kitchen, whether or not we feel that ingredient is, you know, good enough yeah. for that drink. When, when you're coming up with menus... You know, one of the things that helps sell a cocktail is how it's named. How are you? How are you pulling those names? I can kind of only speak for myself, but oh, that—that's exactly what uh, I'm asking. Yeah, <laughs> I tend to—I stay away for the most part from puns based on the ingredients. Sure, I a lot of my drink names are kind of the name has nothing to do with the contents within. Sure. Um, so some pop culture references, you know, the more obscure, the better, of course. Yeah. You know, to, so that the person that gets it, you know, really appreciates it, that yeah. kind of thing. That's that's what I tend to gravitate towards. Um, I like uh, we're working on our Tiki menu now for Tiki Week. Um, this will probably come out, I, I would imagine, after Tiki Week, yeah, a couple I'm, weeks from now. So. I'm going to try to put it out right in about time for that. Okay. So we'll, let's so, talk Tiki Week. Yeah. So the, for those drink names, I, I enjoy making those. I, I enjoy the kind of darker, more sinister side sure. of classic Tiki, like Missionary's Downfall, Headhunter-esque yeah. things, you know, lots of skulls and shrunken heads and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. spears and bloodshed. <laughs> all that fun stuff. All that good stuff. Yeah. So... <laughs> The, the, what, what, 
trying to remember Jeff Barry referred to it as something once. Uh, I think it was native violence. There you go. Yeah. That sounds like something. I'm probably butchering that, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I I like that part of that. So um, kind of often uh, this is not, this is not unusual or not specific to me. I I know a lot of bartenders do this. If I, uh, something will pop into my head and be like, that'll be a great cocktail name. Mm -hmm. I have a a list of uh, potential cocktail names. Like I save in my phone. So, you know, there's always, and you know, I, I can't say that there's never a connection between the drink and the name. Sure. There there often is, but I guess what I'm saying is the name doesn't really describe it. Doesn't necessarily reflect it. Right. But, but you do want to create something that sounds intriguing. So, you know, for instance, like you said, the kind of the more obscure, the better you've got a Dune reference on your men. Yeah. That one's, uh, (laughs) That one's one of those, like I said, that when people get it, they really appreciate yeah. it. You know, yeah. And uh, they're excited to get it. And that, that can actually sell a drink, you know. Yeah. Um, so. Got me to try it the first um, time. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but uh, a buddy of mine from Birmingham is going to be coming down here in the fall. And we're going to do a, a full Dune menu one night. Oh, so, nice. Uh, it's going to be, you know, Dune themed cocktails. Nice. So I'm looking forward to that. Are you gonna? I'm, um, I'm really mostly looking forward to coming up with the names. <laughs> you gonna go back and uh, reread it? And, I'm uh, going to have to. Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've I've seen the David Lynch movie. I, I know it's terrible, but I love it. I've seen it probably half a dozen times. Uh, yeah, read the book twice, but I'm definitely overdue for a, a reread before we get into that that uh, menu creation. Well, and you know they're remaking it now too. So. I I'm super excited about that and nervous at the same time. Cautiously optimistic. I, guess I don't remember who's directing it, so I I'm 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 withholding judgment. Yeah, I that escapes me as well. The cast is looking pretty good from what I remember. I haven't heard anything about it in a while, but no, I haven't either. Um, I can't remember. Is it is it book one or is it one of the subsequent I on, sequels? I honestly I don't know. I haven't like devoted that much time to diving into i'm i'm hoping it's it's an ambitious project i'm hoping it's book one but they you know and they pull in some mm-hmm. other stuff and maybe right. try to condense it into a as long as they don't much more watchable past, movie past where uh he died and somebody else i think it was his son took over the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. subsequent sequels i think he did the first three so yeah maybe they won't go past that if they do do hopefully yeah so as long as they don't develop into um, the what was it the sci-fi sci-fi the series yeah I've been kind of thinking about going back and hate watching that I've never seen it but I'm just such a fan of the it wasn't the, terrible the source material it, it wasn't that, terrible but it wasn't good yeah, either <laughs> I think I can find some things to appreciate about it yeah I it, I, I enjoyed it the the visuals on it were really good much better than the David Lynch okay one granted you know. It was 20 years later right. and technology had improved yeah. a lot. Um, but she didn't have sting with his terrible <laughs> acting. So, <laughs> yep. so um, you know, in, in addition to the bar, you've also, like we touched on early and you've got the kitchen here. Um, when, since you're the GM here, when you're, you know, working with the kitchen staff, how do you, how do you come up with that menu? How do you? Or do you just kind of let them run with it? And oh yeah, I stay out of the kitchen. Okay, <laughs> um, they are incredible at what they do. 
occasionally, you know, we'll give them input. Um, but for the most part, we just let them run with it. They've, they've yet to, uh, you know, do anything, you know, I don't know. It's been fantastic what they're <laughs> doing back there. So I'll just let them take that, you know, I can take no credit for any of that stuff. Gotcha. And, you know, with, with having the kitchen and, and I think there's certainly a trend now in craft cocktails of using savory ingredients um, in bitters and shrubs and syrups and things like that. How much do you rely on them um, to kind of help steer that? Um, for the most part, it's just uh, uh, them being patient enough to let us come back there and, <laughs> and use the use the equipment every once in a while and get in their way for a little while. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, the, the kitchen has been a tremendous asset not only just for the food side of things, but to be able to go back there and, you know, we haven't even really tapped into what we could do back there yeah. on the bar side. You know, yeah. uh, they do a lot of sous vide stuff back there, which is something oh, cool. we're about to get into. I don't know uh, how you sous vide a cocktail. But. Well, uh, you can <laughs> quickly, you can infuse like a liquor or a syrup per se, okay. uh, much quicker than just a cold, cold infusion, which is just mixing the two ingredients together and letting it sit for a week. Sure. You can, re- you can get the same results in several hours. Basically. Oh, that's cool. I never so, thought of that. And with, with a sous vide, you know, if, if it is liquor you're working with, um, it's such a, it's at a, such a low temperature that it doesn't, you don't have any, uh, risk of cooking away the alcohol basically or lowering the proof of your cocktail. Oh, okay. So as opposed to like, if you were to try to do a, a hot infusion on a stovetop, which yeah, I don't gonna, think anybody's ever tried to do, but yeah, it, it would be a bad idea. Yeah. It's going to kind of kill the alcohol. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you would end up with a completely different product. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure sure there's got to be some case where you could do that i just can't think of sure a, yeah. i can't think of a good one but yeah it, to, to to put it shortly it, it just speeds things up and gets you a better concentration gotcha i know we've talked about this in the past but you know have you guys ever considered doing like a one-off night where you, you do kind of a food pairing with the um Say for instance the Dune themed stuff. If if you were to do a food, obviously a lot of spice. Just gonna get that joke sure, out there, of course. Um, but if you know of pairing a special drink menu with a special food menu, uh, the the Dune pop up, as I'm just gonna refer to it right now, um, would be a perfect opportunity to do that. So. Uh, we've done that in several cases, especially we, we do a lot of beer events yeah, yeah, yeah. as well. Launches, tap takeovers, that kind of thing. Um, and we've, we've done that a handful of times where they come up with a handful of uh, one-night special items to pair with the said beers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have not done that with cocktails at this point, but uh, the time is now. That Dune one is perfect. Yeah. So, um, I think really what that would hinge on is like, are any of those guys Dune fans or can I make them into some? So they would have the proper, you know, the proper uh, inspiration. There's got to be somebody back there. I would think so. Would have at least a tangential. I, I think with those guys, if they aren't already, they could easily become if they were just exposed to it. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Just don't make them read. That might be a little tough. Yeah. Most kitchen guys I know don't like to read. And, uh, Maybe don't go too heavy on the spice with everything. 
Sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> Everything would be uh, lots of tandoori and right. Moroccan flavors. Yeah, exactly. That's definitely what I think about when I think of dune spice, not heat. You know, not heat spice, but no, yeah, that's yeah, uh, lots yeah. of warm, warm. You know, Middle Eastern spices. Exactly. I think yeah. that would be perfect for it. Yeah. So, um, as as you know, as the business has grown and you've taken on more responsibility and all, you know. How well? Let me back up and start. When when you guys opened this location and you were building it out, how much input did you have in the look of the place? Uh, I would say there was probably kind of a four way effort between myself and the owners Elise and Nadia, mm-hmm. and uh, my wife Tasha, who's been with us since the beginning. She's um. You know, other than than me, our, our senior most employee, and she was she worked at the the old place as well. So we kind of had a an aesthetic that we were that we had in mind, um, which we kind of like cobbled together at the sure. old place. You know, yeah, and we had a little bit more freedom to make it how we wanted this time around. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, we we you know we wanted to go for kind of a classic bar room feel mm-hmm. you know we have the tufted booths and uh and the ox blood yeah and, ox yeah. blood and dark dark woods and whatnot uh a long bar um but we didn't want it to so we're not trying to take you to 1910s mm-hmm. or 1920s, not not speakeasy like it's not total speakeasy style right. um and to speak on that that's kind of a button hot button for mine if you have windows and you have a sign and you have a facebook page you're not a speakeasy yeah a little tough yeah <laughs> but uh anyway i uh i digress from that um <laughs> yeah there's like some you know this is not uncommon in this kind of world but uh like industrial elements as well sure so we uh we were able to salvage a decent amount of stuff from the after we stripped away the disgusting facade of the bar that was here before we, we found a lot of like vintage uh, aspects that we were able to to just work with, like our pendant lightings here mm-hmm. are actually they, they look like they're we use them as pendant lightings, but they're actually the bottoms of them would have been flush with the ceiling. Oh, okay, so they so were cam lights. Cam lights, was, yeah. yeah. Uh, the terrazzo flooring, um, which is a blessing and a curse. It looks incredible, but it's incredibly hard to keep clean. I can imagine. Uh, these walls were a happy accident definitely did not plan and we couldn't plan on this you right because we couldn't see it it was covered so this was just all behind and drywall yeah, yeah yeah uh and that's just how it looks we haven't done anything to them because this we, was we sealed this brick per the health department you know sure this was um, what the siemens lounge siemens lounge yep. yeah and then for people who aren't from this area describe what the siemens lounge was <laughs> uh <laughs> i made the mistake of going in one time siemens lounge was a Decades running, you know, long time establishment that initially was opened. Uh, we're not far from the port. Mm-hmm. So it was initially established as a, a bar for merchant marines and the, the guys that work down on the docks and et cetera, sure. et cetera, et cetera. And even up until the end, that remained the case to a certain degree. Sure. Uh, but it was just a, a, a dive 
Um, I can only speak to its like last several years of existence because before that I wasn't old enough to come here. <laughs> but um, it was an interesting place. I came in here once like, yeah. when I first moved to town like 20 years ago. Yeah. And it was scary. Yeah. It, well, I, I often describe it as like I, I love a good dive bar. Um, that, yeah, it was not a good dive bar. No, this bar, is though. not a good dive bar. This is not the take your friends ironically to the dive bar. Yeah. This is, yeah, this was kind of, you get propositioned in multiple different ways as soon as you walk in the door. Yeah. Uh, a, a, a den of sadness. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I've seen, I've got some pretty interesting stories and I've heard some even more interesting stories sure. uh, about the place, but, uh, uh, it served its purpose for a long time. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> got people drunk, right? <laughs> I, we, we've thought about trying to figure out some way to kind of pay homage to the Siemens lounge. I, I don't know. We haven't really fleshed that idea out, but yeah, I don't know how you do that in a, maybe just a cocktail name. Fashion. We were talking about cocktail there you names. Go. Yeah. You know, so it'd have to be rum based for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, speaking as the industry of, as a whole, you know, since we're kind of talking a little look at this place, a lot of bars now are going into this bright, airy sort of feel. What, what's, your, what's your take on that? Uh, I think there's a place for everything. So if that's what you're going for, you know, if you can execute it well, then why not? I mean, I, I, I love a dark bar, but I also yeah. like day drinking. Yeah. As much as the next guy. So if you can um, give me a nice kind of space that feels comfortable in to be in in, in the daytime, you mm -hmm. know, with some natural light, and, or that's what I would prefer, you know, not. All right. So I guess I should back up. If your bar is going to be bright, I would prefer it to be natural light personally. Yes. I don't want to be in a bar at nighttime yes. and be blasted with light. No. Yeah. I, I would agree with you there. Yeah. I think you know. For me, when I go when I go into a, a bar that's kind of brighter and and it does have natural light and all, I don't want it to. I almost don't want it to be nearly as cocktail heavy, right? Um, but more you know wine and beer um, with you know if you're going to have cocktails, mm -hmm. very light cocktails. Right. Yeah, like I, I like the uh, the movement, uh, like all these craft breweries and microbreweries yeah. uh, are doing very open air kind of like mm -hmm. interactive spaces. I love that. You yeah. Know? Um, but I'm also not going to the brewery at nine o'clock on a Friday night, right? To have a cocktail, like you said, you know. Like, yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> I keep saying it, but yeah, for me that 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 feels like an afternoon kind of experience afternoon early evening kind of deal yeah you know? yeah uh we try to get this place as dark as we can at night yeah. uh <laughs> i know i'm the old man in the bar who's got to break out my uh the flashlight on my cell phone that's how we know we're doing to it be right. able to read the menu yeah. <laughs> this is what happens when you get over 40 too <laughs> like, understood menu starts getting yeah, farther away these, <laughs> these flip top lamps that we have on the tables often get you know turned adjusted outward. yeah so <laughs> Uh, that's all right. Yeah. Do what you got to do. Are there are there any trends in the industry that you see that 
you know, just a kind of a what the fuck moment where it's just like that is going to be such a flash in the pan. I, who was it? I was just talking to earlier. Oh, it was the photographer for the land app. Um, there's a movement for uh, a, there are places around the country, not not many. I've, I've heard of maybe two so far that are opening, uh, like no alcohol cocktail bars, which is uh, that's I, one of the things I, I was thinking of. Yeah, get it. I, but is that I don't that, know how sustainable of a business no, model that is. I mean, uh, I I understand that people would like a meeting space, you know, to go hang out with friends where there's not necessarily alcohol like that's fine yeah but i just we'll see i don't know maybe that maybe that's a genius idea and i'm just you know can't see it i mean i think it's cool to have it have no alcohol cocktails as a menu item yeah no doubt. because you know there's people who can't drink for a variety of reasons many reasons and i'm not any one to judge any of those yeah you know know, i i know like when my wife was pregnant Mm -hmm. if we wanted to meet somebody you know, it always felt awkward going to a bar because right. she can't drink during sure. that time and yeah. things like that. And people who have drinking problems who sure. yeah. still religious reasons, religious reasons yeah. who still like to go out and socialize because it's it is a very social and communal aspect. Absolutely. So that's uh that's the best part of a bar. Yeah. You know, are there you know as far as cocktail trends. Are there any things that you see that are, you know, either making a resurgence or or just kind of appearing, you know, for lack of a better word, in the in the menu lexicon right now? Um, I think, uh, you know, low low proof cocktails are having a moment. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's nothing new necessarily, but. Sure. Uh, but I, I see more and more menus developing like a, a section of their menu to low proof cocktails, mm-hmm. uh, which I can get I can get behind that. Uh, especially if we go back to day drinking, I, well, yeah. I, I sound like a total degenerate on this thing. But well, especially <laughs> you know, like, working at a bar, when, right? You know, not that a professional bartender would ever drink while on the job. Of course not. No, never. that would be just nope. wrong. But, you know, say if someone was buying you, you know, wants you to right. drink with them, yeah, you know, to make things last longer. <laughs> Boilermakers are, you know, have been kind of becoming a thing for a couple of years now. So that's not really new. Yeah. And it's not a new concept. No, period, certainly not. But, that's how I got through college. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, you see more and more. We, we've done one for the past two crawfish seasons. We have, we have a boilermaker menu where we pair typically it's craft beer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a spirit. Uh, but uh, so that's a thing, uh, which I can get behind that as well. Uh, and then there's other some places that are going to, to a extreme minimalist approach to cocktail making. Um, so what do you mean by that? Just, you know, uh Max three or four ingredients kind of thing. Oh, okay. You know? uh, which uh, I'm sure the bartenders love. Well, yeah, it makes it a little easier. Yeah. <laughs> but and it that's also, makes... it's also, you know, it's uh, it could be a challenge to, to balance three or four ingredients. Yeah, that, you know, that's... Without a bunch of extra stuff. That's a fun way to test somebody's creativity, sure. too. It's, you know, because, like, in graphic design, I create, like, you know, everybody does that. Think outside the box, I want that box. Tell me right, what sure. the parameters are. No doubt. And that gives me a jumping off point 
to know how far I can push things. Right. So yeah, that that could be a fun challenge. Yeah. So uh, you know, is so we recorded an episode before this and it got lost to the wonders of technology. But I want I want to go my back. best work. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> Opus. Uh, yes, I, I want. I want to go back to uh, your roots of uh, bartending. Something that you uh, you told me early on of uh, when you first started, you you couldn't stand bourbon. Oh right, yeah. So any, any kind of whiskey. Yeah. yeah. So how did how did you overcome that? I, and this is leading me into uh, by force. Force. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I mentioned Stephen earlier. Um, you know, worked under him for quite a while. And at that point, uh, and in many places still, we kind of referred to Jameson as uh, bartender's Gatorade. Right. You know, gets you through the shift. Yeah. Uh, so uh, working with him, you just randomly be have a, a shot of Jameson kind of shoved in your face. And yeah. You can't say no. No. You know. Uh, Jameson's so a pretty good starter whiskey, it is. It's, too. It's real kind of neutral. It actually has a lot of neutral grain spirit in mm-hmm. it. Or... Uh, um, so it's real light bodied. Yeah, that's definitely an easier yeah, entryway. It's than, it's not as hot as right. some of the other it's not ones. A barrel proof bourbon. Yeah. You know. So uh that that's really that's the long and short of how I overcame that is uh <laughs> it's just re- repetition basically. Yeah. Uh I don't want to say it's an acquired taste, but you know maybe <laughs> I just got used to it. I, I don't know. So, in other words, it's still not your favorite, but no, you, I, 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 well, you've James learned is not a lot my favorite, it. but I love whiskey. So yeah, I especially love American whiskey, mm-hmm. bourbon, and uh, rye. Yeah. So when you know, as, as you're coming up, how are you? I mean, obviously, you're developing your palate and taste for things, you know, through a lot of trial and error and sometimes brute force. But um, how are you developing your palate for what goes together? Um, it's, it's like, flavor, it's like flavors. Yeah. Flavor profiles. Uh, um, you know, I've, I've always kind of been really into food, so that helps. You yeah. know, a lot of our ideas come from like, if you have a dish somewhere that you like, it's like, how can I incorporate this into a cocktail? Sure. Um, especially with a lot of ethnic foods, uh, different kind of exotic spices and flavors. Um, but uh, I think we talked about this last time. I mean, you know, uh, developing a a good appreciation for the classics, mm-hmm. classic cocktails that have stood the test of time. You know, with with some exceptions that are classics only because they're well known. Um, <laughs> Long Island iced tea. <laughs> yeah, the the good ones are are classics for a reason. Right. You know, because they're extremely well balanced. They're simple. You know, so that's kind of where you start. For me uh and then you know everything that we do now you can trace back to a classic formula yeah you know? so uh, if you built a family tree of cocktails at some point the roots are going to say manhattan or yeah. old-fashioned or uh, martinez you know yeah so i think i think we talked about this last time but um cocktail codex by death and Company. yeah that's, is, that's a, a great is a great that. learning resource right. for that because it takes those classic cocktails and then it shows you how to build out from there. Right. And, you know, it doesn't, by no means does it hold your hand, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But it, it I, I think, especially for somebody going into craft cocktails, if they're wanting to open a place, it's something that you should read to give you an idea of how to take something that is a classic and then create something new from that. Right. Yeah, I think they kind of took the better parts of their first book yep. and distilled that down, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> so the, like I said, the best parts were, you know, kind of like explaining thought processes mm-hmm. uh, and formulas mm-hmm. for expanding on classic cocktails. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, they just won the Tales of Cocktail Spirited Award. For Did it. they? Yep. Just last weekend. Awesome. So, Very cool. Got a chance to hang out with some of those guys. So when when you're coming to your cocktail menu and you're finding new things and you know discovering new liquors and liqueurs and you know aperitifs and all to pair with things what what are things that kind of strike your fancy and jump out at you where you know you're like I want to I want to learn more about that I want to figure out something that's going to go with that uh, say, you know, when you find a liquor or a liqueur that's maybe not like something that you would go for. Sure. Like it's like, this is out of, outside of my comfort zone. I don't even know if I like it, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's always fun to kind of force yourself. How can we utilize this? Uh, you know, we've bought bottles of things here and there that were like, this is, not bad, but it's like, it's very difficult to work with. We're not going to ever get rid of this unless we find a way to utilize it. Like you know, artichoke liqueur. Good, I love Chinar. That's what you're referring that to. Is, sure. I couldn't so, think of the name of it, but that is, yeah. yes. That's, uh, it doesn't taste like artichokes to me. I, I know I've honestly greens, never so. tried it, so I, I, um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but there, there are a couple of other things that right next to the bottle of Chinar to the right is a uh, Maletti. Uh, which to me kind of tastes like bug spray. Mm, yeah. So, uh, Delicious. I'm not sure if we've come up with anything with that, but it's, but yeah, that's, I, that's a, that's always a fun challenge. It's, um, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, especially in, I feel like now that you've got to come up for something with that and base it around like yellow fever, just since it tastes like bug spray. There we go. That's a good idea. <laughs> I'm going to steal that. Feel free. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, we're, we're kind of getting close to our time, but I, I, I do want to talk about Tiki Week a little bit sure. uh, since it's coming up. When, and, and you just got back from the Hookie Lao. You know, when you're coming up with a Tiki Week menu, obviously Tiki is kind of synonymous with rum. Um, what are, you know, what are your kind of go-to favorites that uh, you're looking to put a new twist on? Uh, well, since the beginning, uh, since we started doing Tiki, it wasn't, it started as Tiki Night. Yeah. And we, after one night, de- decided that it was uh, way too much work to just do uh, for one night. Yeah, that's a lot of syrups to make for one night. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but we've been doing a uh, zombie variation since that one. Okay. So, uh, every year we change it up a little bit. So that's, that's, you know, the 
ultimate tiki cocktail. You know, mm. maybe not the most well known. Probably number two to my tie. Probably. Um, but uh, that one's fun to riff on. Um, so we do that a lot. Uh, also, not a uh, not technically a tiki drink, but a daiquiri is always fun to to riff on a little bit. You know, it qual- it's it's in enough tiki tiki drink yeah, books. Yeah. I feel it qualifies yeah. as a. Uh, it's uh, proto tiki, is what you would. Pr- yes, put yeah, that yeah, proto tiki. Uh, that would be a good so, way to. But it's a it's a rum sour, which is you know what is the basis of which tiki is built upon. You yeah, know? yeah. So, um, we've we've done a lot of classics that we've kind of variate uh, like made variations on. Last year we did a, a Saturn, which mm-hmm. is a gin based cocktail, gin passion fruit. Yep. Uh, we're dropping for Lernum. Um, it was wildly popular. I think is like people were perhaps looking for something that wasn't rum, yeah. pineapple. You yeah. Know, like, um, so I like that one a lot. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, rum blends, which is like the basis of, uh, that's what Don the Beachcomber, or mm-hmm. Don Beach, uh, that's that's how he made this all possible. Like, yeah. Uh, I think there's a, there's a saying that's attributed to him, never proven that he actually said it, but uh, what one rum can't do, three can. Yep. So we do a lot of rum blending, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can get different flavor profiles from a Jamaican rum and then a rum agricole from Martinique and then a Spanish uh, rum. Yeah, Spanish style rum. Yeah. yeah, colonial. Yeah. So we do a lot of that too, which is, like I said, that's one of the basis of, uh, of traditional tiki. Um, so. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of. There are a ton of tiki references tiki drink and rum drink references out there especially now it's it's made you know within the past probably 15 years made mm. a huge resurgence absolutely whereas in the 80s it was you know that's when you got the pina coladas right, and the strawberry was, daiquiris and these overly sugary drinks yeah um but it would it, it you know in the 50s from the 30s up to through the early 70s it was huge. It was yep. it was the thing. Oh, I mean, it was a place to be. You know, if you went down to Trader Vic's on and you know in Hollywood, yeah, that's where all the celebrities were. Yeah, you know. So yep. you you've got people like Beach Bumberry and Martin mm-hmm. Kate mm-hmm. and all that who are putting out these great books, you know, about the tiki drink culture and tiki in general. So makes it fun are there any yeah. any favorites that you have as far as reference materials uh you mentioned you know the two two of the biggest ones or maybe the two biggest ones in the modern day jeff, sure but jeff barry uh his 10th anniversary sip and safari is amazing uh potions of the caribbean came mm-hmm. out before that equally amazing more more of a historical document than, yeah than a, a, a bar book uh smuggler's cove is still kind of the ultimate bar guide oh, yeah. to Tiki. But I also have to give a shout out. I just got my copy in the mail yesterday. Uh, my friend Matt Pietrick from, he, li- he lives in New Orleans now. He just mm-hmm. moved to New Orleans. But uh, more commonly referred to as the Rum Wonk or Cocktail Wonk. Mm-hmm. He just put out a book called Minimalist Tiki. Oh. And it is, it's a beautiful book. It's fantastic. I it's, did not uh, know that. I am going to have to get it's that. It's incredible resource for the especially the home bartender yeah so yeah because uh, I, I mean i i have i have smuggler's cove yeah and i've got all the well i don't have the 10th right. anniversary of sip and safari but i have 
all of the yeah. Beach Bum Berry books, and they're great. But if you're wanting to do a home bar, it's yeah. it's pretty prohibitive. So yeah, he even in the preface, he's like, "Here's the ground that Martin has covered. Here's the ground that Jeff has covered. We're not going to retread because they've already done it, you know, to the best the best that it could possibly be done. So, but here is a here's a new approach to this, and like I said, it's it's kind of like this is what you can do at home with minimal investment. Yeah. You know, you don't have to have a hundred bottles of rum. Yeah. And a bunch of crazy, you know, exotic ingredients. My wife's not happy with me because we've got like 10 different types of rum at home. It's kind of the cocktail codex of the Tiki lexicon or the Tiki Vanguard. I am definitely going to have to pick that up. Yeah. So it's like, here are all these classics and here's how you can kind of, you know, deviate from them. Take this formula Mm-hmm. sub these different things and you can it's it's almost mathematic you can put a drink on paper based on these formulas sure and uh you know then put it in a glass and it's almost you know almost guaranteed to be a success i'm so, i'm looking forward to seeing yeah. that i've only i've only cracked the surface of it yesterday a little bit but i'm excited to get more i, I met him at the hukulau oh, uh, tiki he? by the sea the bartenders yeah yeah conference so, awesome. But yeah, he, he lives in New Orleans now, so he's, cool. he's very accessible. Very cool. I'm going to have to uh going to have to get his contact information from you. For sure. Chat with him. Um as as we're kind of wrapping up, I want to hit you with some rapid fire questions about food and drink. Um so let's start off with what's kind of your earliest food memory? Earliest food memory. Um homemade frito pie. Lovely. Yeah, or uh, or or gumbo because I, I grew up in Bayou Battery, and mm-hmm. uh, the majority of my family, especially when I was a kid, was in the seafood industry. So okay. yeah, we kind of hard to yeah. We were, we had gumbo, you know, once a month, shrimp spaghetti, shrimp this, shrimp that, <laughs> fish fries constantly. So yeah. that's I that, I have extremely fond memories of that. I still love all that stuff. Gotcha. So I don't get to have it nearly as much as I did when I was a kid. Gotcha. What is, what is the first alcoholic beverage you remember drinking? Hmm. A really probably below the bottom shelf vodka that for some reason my parents had in the cooking, like the cabinet where they kept like cooking oil and vinegars <laughs> and stuff like that above the because stove. Because it was so bad. <laughs> yeah. I think they, it was probably bought to be used in a recipe at some point, but, uh, some point, uh, <laughs> don't tell my mom. We discovered that as teenagers and took some slugs out of that. And holy cow, it was terrible. Oh god, my first was uh, warm old Milwaukee beer. Ooh, warm, uh, yeah, out of the, out of the garage where my dad was keeping Man. it. He hadn't even put it in the fridge yet. I I could knock back some old Milwaukee's, but they have to be ice cold. Uh, yeah, it yeah. it was it was rough. I remember just I, I was probably like. 12 and wow I, and i yeah believe <laughs> i did not drink for many years after yeah. that yeah. many years <laughs> like all through high school well, did not a, drink. Yeah, they cured me of that but know, i shotgunned it and it came out just ooh. as quickly as it went in wow it was rough the old trampoline <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so um what's what's kind of like your go-to comfort food you've had a shit day and you just want to you know pig out on something uh really into spicy asian cuisines so uh 
I make a ton of like Szechuan style food at home. Oh, Can't nice. get it around here anywhere, yeah, no. you know. Um, so that's what I like. Uh, the more you sweat, the better. Exactly. So uh, there is also actually my probably my ultimate comfort food is uh, the, the Taste of Thai, which is in St. Elmo. Uh-huh. Like uh, it's a 20, 25 minute drive from downtown mm-hmm. off the interstate. Blink if you miss it kind of place out in the middle of nowhere, but incredible Thai food. So me and Tasha will go out there usually on a Sunday, slightly hungover, get a bunch of extremely spicy Thai food and just sweat it out. Gotcha. What What's your death row meal? Oh, man. Crawfish. Crawfish? Yes. That I cooked. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Um, it, and if you could only drink one... You can you can make variations on it, but you can only have one base alcohol for the rest of your life. What are you going with? Well, if I can variate, then I have to say rum because it's so extremely versatile. Sure. So uh, otherwise, if I don't know that I could pick one single rum though. Yeah, that's and, tough. Yeah. So aside from that, a good solid, but not like the best in the world bourbon would suit me just fine. Cool. So something right. Kind of middle of the ground. Cool. Yeah. And then uh, we talked about this last time, but you know, you've got a love for uh, dive bars. What is uh, what's the best dive bar you've been to lately? Uh, I'll just shout out my two local favorites, or maybe I shouldn't. I don't want to give away the secrets. They're not really secrets. They've been open since the '60s. Uh, I love Traders. Yeah. On the Causeway. Yeah. Used to be a tiki bar back in the '60s, I believe. Started yep. and it's yep. Trader George's. Yep. Hurricane Frederick wiped it out. It was in a Quonset hut where Felix's is now. Oh, really? Yeah. Hurricane Frederick wiped it out. They opened up in the dome home. In the geodesic in place, yeah. And now, um, love that spot. That's I haven't like, been there in years. That's uh, that's that's Tasha and I's place. Like, uh, yeah. I especially love it on a, a rainy, stormy day. We got those big windows. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, the other one is um, I love the Pelican Pub on Dolphin Island. I, You know, I've never been there. It's above... As soon as you get off the bridge, you take a hanger right, right in front of that Circle K. Oh, okay. There's a seafood restaurant there. I think it's called JT's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. TJ's, something like that. Something like that, yeah. But above that, there's a little horseshoe bar oh. uh, surrounded by windows. Great place to watch sunset. Huh. Um, Didn't even know about that place. Super cold beer. Don't get the cocktails. <laughs> um, you know, I love that place. So Cool. Been going there a lot. Very cool. Well, Roy, thank you so much yeah, for, for uh, taking the time to chat with me. My and pleasure. Uh, go out and break some bread. Will do. You can find out more about The Haberdasher on Facebook and Instagram at The Habmobile. I hope you like this episode of Feasting on Design. Let me know what you think. And if you like it, leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit FeastingOnDesign.com to catch up on the archives of the Creative South podcast. Get some cool swag like t-shirts and stickers that are on sale right now for 50% off with free shipping on orders over $25 when you use the code FREESHIPPING, all one word. Plus, you can keep up with the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Feast on Design, and I'm at Jay Frostholm on Dribble, Twitter, and Instagram.